This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. The temperatures have taken a dip, and many Mississippians welcome this cooler weather. But what about our creature friends? Does this early autumn season, do you wonder what's happening with birds of our state or maybe the frogs? Is that chorus of croaks still outside your bedroom window? Today, to give us an update on the birds, frogs, and other creatures of Mississippi, we welcome back biologist Joe McGee. Also, Dr. Majors here ready to take some pet questions. Our phone lines are open for your questions and comments, so give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Two chances to hear Creature Comforts every week. It airs Thursday mornings, and a repeat broadcast is every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope that everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good, good morning. Libby, glad to have you back on the program, and uh, do you have some events for us? I do. Let's see. Park After Dark here in Jackson will be coming up soon, um, the big Halloween event, so you can start watching for that. But then the uh, Mississippi Coastal Audubon, they have a lot of great field trips, and a good one this weekend which would be um, October the 12th at Ansley Preserve. You meet, it's kind of early, meet at 7.15 in the parking lot at Ansley Preserve. It's um, historically a really good site to see fall migrants. And so um, if you want to get with them, and to just check the rest of their field trips, it's mscoastaudubon.org. And they've always got something good going on. The Audubons all over the state tend to have a lot of good field trips, and they like people to join them. So okay, get on board and do that. All right. Uh, we have an early email here about a dog situation. It says, my son adopted two pit bull mixed puppies four years ago. For the first two years, they lived together in harmony with my son. But when my son took an out-of-state job, they came to live with us. They immediately fought and drew blood. So we've kept them separate since then, and if we forget and let them together, they attack each other violently. We have other dogs, and both brothers get along fine with them. Is there anything that we can do? Someone suggested muzzling them and gradually letting them be together again. Wow. That's a good one. And we see this happen occasionally uh, from the standpoint of uh, siblings, if you will, or uh, dogs that have been together. Uh, something triggered them, I guess, moving away from uh, their other owner. Uh, that makes it difficult, and uh, muzzling might help. Uh, certainly, introduction like that. I don't, how long have they been with the new home? Uh, I think a couple of years, yeah. from, if I remember correctly. And it, this may be something that's so ingrained that it may not work out, and it may require keeping them separate. Uh, makes it difficult, I know, in a household situation. But uh, I would suggest, gosh, uh, Mississippi State has a uh, animal psychologist, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, pet uh, therapy and this sort of thing, and deals with problems like that. I would suggest giving uh, veterinary school at Mississippi State a call and see if they could set up an appointment for some uh, actual help with this on a more professional basis. All right. 
Um, in the last couple of weeks, we've gotten a couple of questions about pet food, especially for dogs, uh, from the types of pet food causing allergic reactions to making sure that pets are eating enough. Uh, our producer, Java, found some something from Huffington Post. Huffington Post. Uh, that's three signs that it's time to change your dog food. The first one, if your pet needs to gain or lose weight. Um, so um, do you think the, the the wrong pet food can sometimes lead to dogs being underweight, or is it maybe they don't like the taste and aren't eating it? Dr. Major, any thoughts right, on that one? If they've been on particular food for a while, sometimes they do become a little stale with it. Not the food, but the dog doesn't appreciate it as much, catch it much the same way. Uh the weight loss and weight gain, though, I'd be concerned if there was an underlying cause uh, with that, such as kidney failure, diabetes, uh, any number of things could it could affect the weight. Uh, the other thing that people need to watch is uh, some people feed free, free feed and uh, leave food out all day. Quite often, some of the pets will become overweight with that. So uh, definitely, if, if you change foods, uh, I would consult with your vet from the standpoint of if there's any underlying cause that could be causing this, either weight gain or weight loss. Right. So uh, the food might be one of the causes of, of a lot of gain or lost weight, but if that is happening, you're suggesting that to go in and double-check with the vet to make sure there's not something else going on there as well. Exactly. Uh, if your pet shows signs of an allergy, maybe scratching a lot, uh, maybe they have a food allergy, and again, food might be something. And, you know, we talk a lot about this, but, uh, you know, pet owners, you know, you know what your pet's uh, normal behavior is. And so when you see maybe something like scratching and that kind of thing going on, again, that might be a sign of, of, of the pet food. But again, Dr. Major, I think you'd probably suggest going in to check it out to make sure there aren't some other causes there as well. There are many causes. Some of our pet allergies and pet scratching are seasonal. Uh, we can see the differences with the different types of uh, grasses and uh, plants that are blooming. Uh, certainly we can see that. One of the first things here in the south you need to check for would be fleas. This is the most common cause of uh, our pet scratching. After that, if you've got that under control, uh, I would say if you look at one, two, three, probably food allergy would probably be number three cause of scratching, and it probably is oversold that uh, the foods can cause that. If you change foods and you feel like it's a food allergy, you need to feed it for at least four to six weeks to see if there's any improvement. So don't just change and feed that food for two weeks and say it's not working. You do need to to change and try to find one that uh, will work for that animal, but you need to wait a reasonable period of time, four to six weeks. And the third cause uh, might be if your pet is experiencing gastrointestinal issues, which, again, I think uh, most pet owners would probably be able to spot that uh, pretty easily. But And, again, that might be an, a reason to, to bring the pet in. It might be food, but it might, again, be something else as well. Right, and there are foods designed especially for GI-type upsets. Uh, we have a fairly large array of those foods. Dogs and cats do have some gastrointestinal issues. Uh, that can be food-related, and uh, those are things that can be handled in most cases. However, uh, some of our animals have truly an irritable bowel syndrome, which can be uh, very difficult to treat on a regular basis. I'm fortunate my cat uh, seems to like his food and has not ever been a very picky eater, although uh, every time I try to eat, he and I'll have like a little TV tray out, he does try to s- s- kind of see what's going on there and 
especially if there's chicken or something, I know he'll be a little bit extra interested. So I got to make sure that I don't leave the room or anything because uh, he'll raid the food. And he, he loves his treats, too, as well. I, sometimes I'll pour a little pile out somewhere and he doesn't immediately go to them, but I'll come back in the room later and uh, they will be gone. So I find myself very fortunate, again, that I don't have a picky eater cat because that can, can be a real uh, trouble. Um, let's do this. Why don't we go ahead and take our first break? When we get back, we'll invite uh, Joe McGee into the conversation, begin our conversation by talking about what's happening with frogs around the state this time of year. If you've got questions for Joe or a pet question for Dr. Major, you can give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. or email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. During the break, we're going to have a frog call. See if you can name the frog. Listen closely and stay tuned. Jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield, our guest today in studio, friend of the program, Joe McGee. If you want to join our conversation with a question or comment, our phone lines are open, so give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So before the break, we played the sound of a frog call, and I remember... Years ago on The Tonight Show, they used to have Stump the Band, where they would try to you know, play a song that the, the Tonight Show band members could guess. And then on uh, Car Talk, it used to be Stump the Chump. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, we tried to stump you, but you got it right. Tell us what that frog call we heard was. That frog was one of our summertime friends, the Green Tree Frog. That's exactly right. Green Tree Frog. And he Joe nailed it right off the bat there. So uh, good to have you back on the program. If you would, uh, what is the state of activity for frogs in Mississippi during October and the early part of the fall? Well, for one thing, they're quiet. They're not singing now, not even the green tree frog. But they're still out there. They've, the breeding season is essentially over for, for most of them. So uh, they're quiet. Uh, but they may show up. I've had a squirrel tree frog show up in my house a few days ago, and then a green tree frog. I took pictures of both of those, photographed them, and then a couple of nights ago I had a, another squirrel tree frog in the house. I was It was too late. I just put him back outside. But So they're around, and their numbers are actually higher probably than they would be in the spring because the young have uh, changed from tadpole to frog, and they're out and about now. In fact, I was at the museum... Uh, October 1st, the day of the noon lecture. Yeah, and, uh, I was there. Uh, uh, a nice lady had brought in a frog in a jar. She wanted to identify Tom Mann, looked at it, and he decided what it was, and he, he gave me the test. And I sort of missed it at first. This is a tiny little frog, but this is what you might see this time of year. And we decided, and I'm pretty sure this is what it was, that, that it was a young of the year gray tree frog, Cope's gray tree frog, neat, neat little Thing, you know, you could put it on a dime probably, or certainly a, a penny. 
uh, and it wouldn't cover the whole surface of the penny. So the frogs are out there. They're just quiet. Okay. Uh, we're going to be visiting with Joe throughout the program. If you have a comment or a question, maybe something you've seen in your yard that uh, you might need help identifying with, or if you have a pet question for Dr. Major, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. David's on the line from Horn Lake. David, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Uh, thank you. Uh, I've got an old dog that's over 15 years old, and uh, I have a lot of shade in my yard. And uh, I want to know, is li- I think it's called lemon balm, and is wild blackberry bushes toxic to dogs? My dog was out there eating it. Well, those are two that uh, I would say, in my opinion, are not toxic. Uh, I guess the thing would be how much would they eat. Uh, and usually they go selectively to different type things. Uh, is he showing any adverse symptoms from that? Uh, well, he had a little spell over the weekend. He is, uh, his stool was, was liquid and runny. Okay. I would say that probably of the lemon balm, if he ate enough of that, it could cause some uh, GI issues. I'm not real familiar with that. Uh, I would have to call Poison Control. Uh, they can give you some information on that. Uh, but, uh, gosh, I don't know. I, I would have to defer to somebody that knows more about lemon balm than I do. It has some medicinal purposes, I believe. And uh, I would say that uh, if in excess, that certainly that could cause some diarrhea. Okay, one more question. Uh, yes. My dog is, uh, like I said, is 15 years old. And uh, he's, he's lost some of his teeth and all that. It's very commercially, without specifically maybe naming a name brand or whatnot, specific commercial dog food that you could recommend for senior dogs. Right. Uh, you know, they have the dog foods basically, and there's so many dog foods now that it's confusing. But in his case, one of two things. You probably want to go with a softer food, uh, and I would get an adult food. Uh, if you look at the bag, he does not need the puppy food type food. But I would get something that you could either add uh, warm water to uh, or uh, even give some canned food occasionally. I think that would help. You can mix that with the dry food. But um, I'd say uh, adult and some some of the do- different dog foods would say geriatric. But uh, an adult dog food would be probably more suitable for him but you may need to make it where you can actually eat a little bit better with the missing teeth. All right, uh, David, thanks for calling in this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you have a pet question for Dr. Major or a question or comment for guest biologist Joe McGee, you can call in today at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 You can also send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back to the phone lines in just a minute, but uh, Joe, we're talking a little bit about frogs here as we begin the program. What are some of the conservation issues that are facing frogs and toads in Mississippi? Well, always the, f- the first thing that comes to my mind is habitat loss. They've mm-hmm. got to have a, a place to breed, or, you know, a wetland of some kind, a pond, or at least a ditch full of water in the spring. Uh, yeah, habitat loss, habitat fragmentation, a lot of... Uh, Frogs and other amphibians get run over there, you know, in, in their trip to the breeding pond, they have to cross a road sometime and they get run over. And that's, that's uh, always bad news. 
Worldwide uh, amphibians are under a lot of stress, and we don't always know why the fungus, uh, the chytrid fungus is affecting a lot of them. There's one that affects frogs and toads, and there's another one, I think, that affects salamanders. And it's it's always been there, I think. It's always been in the environment. We don't, I'm not sure why it's suddenly affecting them so adversely. But I would think habitat loss is, and, and habitat fragmentation is probably the, the uh, dominant risk to frogs in uh, in Mississippi and in the southeast. Yeah, right. We just need to remember that frogs are so dependent. They're completely dependent on clean, fresh water. They've got to have fresh water to reproduce. Their eggs can only survive in water. There are a few species that can do that in a knot hole or a, even a small flower or something like that, or a large flower. But most of them have got to get back to a good, safe pond or slow-moving stream, a lake. Yeah, a pond with shallows mm-hmm. and lots of vegetation around mm-hmm. the edge. They, they tend to stay around the edges of ponds, not out in the middle. If it's a huge pond, you're almost a lake with deep water. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they don't go out there too much. Yeah, they need the, uh, the, the fresh water, and it needs to be full of water until the tadpoles can metamorphose into the adults and hop out on land. Yes. Uh, if a pond dries up, and this happens sometimes, the, the tadpoles dry up with it. All right, back to the phone lines we go, starting again in Calhoun County. Our friend Dudley's on the line. Good morning, Dudley. Go ahead. Good morning. I Hi. really enjoy the show. I had a different frog that appeared on my glass door just after the rain that we had last week. Uh, is it possible that a bullfrog could uh, could appear on a you know, like a tree frog. I mean, it was a real skinny frog, and it had real skinny legs. It was not at all like the normal frog frogs that are, that appear on my door. Uh, what what color was this frog? It was kind of a grayish green, like. Uh huh. It was at night, uh, and and the strange thing, there were really no bugs or anything out. It was had been so dry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was it was adhering to a glass win to a glass window. Yeah, a, a door. I have a door. A glass okay, doors that look out on. The and it was gray. And was the skin? Describe the skin. Was it real smooth, or was it sort of bumpy? Or it was it was smooth. Uh, it was just real slick. It was. Uh, the reason I asked if it was sort of bumpy, I was I was sort of tending toward gray tree frog because you said grayish and greenish. Uh, the frog that comes that I see most commonly on windows at night, or there's two species actually, the green tree frog, which he uh, they played the sound of a little while ago, and also the squirrel tree frog. By the way, what? Uh, how long would you say this frog is from the, from its nose to its vent? Do you have an idea? I would say about uh, two inches. It was a little. It's skinny. It was. Yeah. Uh, did uh, did you, anything striking about, uh, say, the sides of the frog? Did you notice that? I know it was nighttime when you were seeing this. Right. It was. Uh, I took a picture, and I oh, don't you, know how to, to email you, it. Yeah, oh, could, that yeah. that would. I think I could identify it if I could see the picture. You've confused me a little bit with the color. Uh, there is. Well, I hate to start mentioning names, and when that's not it. Yeah, if you send us that picture, 
we can and he said know, we'll talk about it next week it doesn't yeah. things don't jive like you said the skin is smooth okay that tells me green tree frog i'm thinking or squirrel tree frog they have their skin looks really smooth but it had real skinny legs I mean, mm, the they legs they all t- they all tend to have long skinny legs. They when you especially when you see them on glass. Uh, you know, I'll figure out how to if, send it. Yeah, if you could send that out. picture, I, I just know how much I enjoy your show. Yeah, all right. Uh, hey Dudley, if you can, the email address is animals at mpbonline dot org. So if you could get us to us uh, during the show today, or even you know sometime during the week, we'll see to follow up and see if we can help you figure out what kind of frog that was. Yeah, I'd love to see that picture. All right, thanks, Dudley, for your call. Uh, let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Next, we are going to go to Bill in Greenwood. Good morning, Bill. You're on the air. How y'all doing? I was just wondering if some of the uh, frogs could be uh, the populations declining because. Uh, I haven't seen uh, the common toad here in a couple of years, and the, tree, the green tree frog used to be all on my windows, and now I only see one or two, and we have a bio just down the road here, so I know there's plenty of uh, fresh water for them to get in. Do, do, do all uh, those frogs have to have the fresh water, the toads? Uh, yeah, they do to breed, yeah. They, they breed in water. They lay their eggs in shallow water. Uh, it can be a rain pool even. Now, sometimes the rain pools dry up before the tadpoles mature, but uh, they do need, yeah, toads need fresh water as well as the frogs. D- do you recall hearing frogs, choruses of frogs back in, say, uh, May, April and May, June? Yes, uh, I don't hear them any other time, but uh, I do hear them frogs that go, wee, wee. <laughs> okay, that's the... That's a narrow-mouthed toad, and you hear that after a rainfall probably in the summer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a little toad, I hadn't seen it. The little pump. They used to be all over the place when I was a kid. Uh, something has changed. I don't, I don't know what. Uh, if, if you're still living in the same place and they used to hop around the yard, uh, I, don't, I don't know what's happened. Uh, but here's an interesting thing for you. The place where I'm living now did not have frog, toads when I was growing up. Very few. Now I do have one called a southern toad. I see lots of them at uh, certain times of the year. So populations ebb and flow. Uh, I don't know why you're not seeing them. Uh, How can I get some frog? Can I buy the egg somewhere and just put them in the back? No, I, I don't think so. I think it would, it would cost a fortune to ship the eggs. They They would really require a lot of of care, uh, you know, uh, to get them to you because they can't dry out. They've got to be in fresh water, not not too stagnant either. Yeah, I would definitely check <clears throat> any kind of chemicals that are being used on the property. And Do you see many insects sure. at night? Uh, oh yeah, we have plenty of bugs. We get tons. Oh, of okay, so there's they, food. There's so food there's for food, the yeah. there's food for the toads. I don't really have an explanation for why you're not seeing them. Or, um, uh, not seeing them at your place. All right, uh, Bill, thanks for the call. You know, um, <clears throat> it, as you said, populations, you know, uh, change and that sort of thing. So um, perhaps if uh, someone is trying to attract more frogs and toads to their area, creating some sort of wet area like a pond or, a, yes. you know, some sort of water feature or something might help. That would be an excellent way to do it, a shallow pond with lots of vegetation around the edge. 
would be really a really good thing. If and you if want. you'll do it without fish, that really I was going to add. They like that. <laughs> the thing about uh, most or folks a few have fish. Yeah. Most folks have a pond so they can fish in it. Uh, if there are shallows enough, though, the the big you know largemouth bass and whatnot don't hang out in the sh- where it's only you know two or three inches deep. And so you can have both of some kinds of frogs uh, in a pond that has fish, but but you're right, they do better without the fish. All right, let's get one more question in before our next break, and it's Tina in Jackson. Tina, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hello. Uh, Hi. My call excuse me, is about a cat. And I have a, um, a male cat. He's about three years old. He's been sick. And um, when he was about a year, he, they were, his litter was abandoned by the mother. We raised him a bottle. And when he was about a year old, he... Um, had a bladder blockage, you know, and that took care of it. Uh, about a couple months ago, he had a severe UTI, and it, it's gotten, you know, it took antibiotics and steroids stuff. He got over that. But now, occasionally, maybe at least once a week, he'll um, he'll swell up, and he can't move. He'll be on his tiptoes, and he'll be in pain. And, um, uh, it'll it'll last for a little while, and then I look around again, and he's up and back to normal. So I'm just wondering if there's um, something I can do to help him um, have better better bladder health or whatever. If it's the um, the I don't know, if it's the cat litter, the food, or could I get him some kind of supplement or okay. what can I do to help him? What kind of food does he eat? He's um, meow mix, okay. um, hairball control. Okay, let me let me suggest this, and of course you can uh, consult with your veterinarian. But mm-hmm. I think with the recurrent UTIs, recurrent uh, situation here, he needs to be on a specialized diet that will help with that. Uh, just a couple of names, just for information, and there are several. Uh, okay. One of the ones is called CD, uh, and uh, depending on the blood work that was done, whether or not his kidneys are actually involved. Uh, you need one that is balanced and designed for cats that are having UTIs. Uh, one of the real problems with the male, if the listeners are not aware, they can actually block, uh, they can be unable to urinate, and it's quite painful when that happens. So try to yeah. prevent that is the best way. That's the best supplement I can say would be the, the food and fairly easy for you to change to that type diet. Uh, okay. Good luck with that, and I sure hope you, that will help. Okay, um, let me ask you this: Does um, excuse me, does the cat litter have anything to do with it? Does I would. I was. Litter? Are you using a clumping litter? No. Okay, use one as dust free as possible. I think that will okay. help. Okay. And uh, I, I would say that that in and of itself should not be causing the UTI. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for your call, Tina. Time for another break. Uh, When we get back, we'll continue talking about some of the frogs you see around Mississippi this time of year and also bring in some birds as well. Dr. Major here, ready for your pet questions. So you can call in questions and comments at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. During the break this time, we're going to play a bird call and see if we can guess it. Uh, Listen closely and stay tuned. 
Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is biologist Joe McGee. We've been talking a little bit about frogs and birds that you see this time of year. And trust the information that Joe gives you, because so far on our identified the frog and bird call, he is two for two. So, Joe, that last bird call, what was that? That was the brown thrasher. All right. Very good. And uh, as our, uh, you, you're, you're frustrating our producer, Java, because <laughs> he wanted to try to stump you. But so far, uh, you're two for two. So, again, some uh, fun we're having here on the show yeah. this morning. I've uh, got some phone calls to get to before we get back to things. So let's uh, begin again in Woodville. Our friend Lee is on the line. Good morning, Lee. Good morning, everybody. Go ahead. First of all, I have a, a triple, triple question for the resident biologist, Mr. Joe McGee. Mm-hmm. Okay. First, I'd like to know what is the status of the dusty gopher frog in South Mississippi, <laughs> South Louisiana. Secondly, I would like to know, since we have a really mild winter in Mississippi, in places where it gets colder, does these frogs on their back, it looks like they have slime on it, do they ever freeze over? And thirdly, I would like to know if the leopard frog is native or do we have it in Mississippi? And I'll hang up and let you discuss these things. Okay, very good question. Yeah, you were almost like a plant. Those were things we wanted to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, that's... uh, We, we, I'm talking about the Kevin and Libby and Dr. Major and I had discussed... uh, the gopher frog that you mentioned, the Mississippi gopher frog, before we went on the air, it's doing a little, you know, it's one of the most endangered amphibians on Earth, but it's doing a little bit better. It, For a long time, it was confined to a single pond in Harrison County, breeding pond. And there were a lot of issues when there was a drought and there was no water for it to breed in. And this is a frog that doesn't need any fish. In fact, it doesn't need any dragonfly larvae or nymphs immature dragonflies they would eat the tadpoles but it's doing a little bit better it's been relocated to a f- two or three other ponds down in south mississippi only place it's found is harrison county and maybe i believe over in jackson county now originally it was found as far north as wiggins up in what stone county mm-hmm. so it's doing a little bit better uh, it even made its way to the U.S. Supreme Court last year, and I never heard how that, what the Supreme Court said about it. But uh, so let's put that in the column of doing better. The okay. Mississippi gopher frog doing better. You ask about f- frogs freezing. Uh, well, they have essentially they have antifreeze, and it's not a big issue for fro- as you said, as in the South, frogs in the South. Uh, they can hunker down in, in the wa- deep in the water where it doesn't freeze. They can take a lot of cold weather. Up north, some of them become inactive, but they can't freeze solid. That you know, if they freeze solid, the ice crystals will damage the cells, and they you know they won't make it. But they have a uh, a system antifreeze essentially, some chemicals that keep them from freezing solid. The wood frog, which is found way way up north, even above the Arctic Circle, so they do make it. Uh, and speaking of you know frogs in cold weather, that's the next thing we have to look forward to in the frog world uh, is the uh, spring peepers 
and the chorus frogs will be calling. Uh, you can start hearing them maybe during the Christmas holidays, between Christmas and New Year's, certainly on mild nights in January. And by mild, I mean maybe in the 40s, 50s, something like that. You'll hear choruses of spring peepers and the uh, chorus, upland chorus frogs, or chorus frogs if you're in South Mississippi, it'd be the southern chorus frog. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. You may hear a few sporadic calls from those ahead of time, but uh, they'll be calling... Uh, in in uh, in January for sure, mile nights in January. You mentioned the uh, leopard frog. That's and I'm glad you brought that up. That's the one frog that you could probably hear this time of year, following a big rain event. And there's a front coming through. What in the next day or two, it may produce rain in some areas. Now I haven't had rain since August 26, so I'm not. I don't know if I'll hear them or not. But uh, if it rains after the rain. Uh, that will trigger a breeding event for southern leopard frogs. We do have southern leopard frogs. They are found all over the state in appropriate habitat. Uh, they were not brought in. They're naturally, they're one of our naturally occurring uh, frogs. Uh, what else can you say about leopard frogs? I, I can tell you an interesting story. They can call almost any month of the year following a big rain event. One year I got up in August to look for the Perseid meteor showers and went outside, and it was, it was really cool. In fact, I went back in and got a long sleeve shirt. It was, it was down in the 60s. felt kind of cool after I'd gotten out of my warm bed. And while I was looking for the meteors, I heard southern leopard frogs. It had rained a day or two before that. And uh, same thing happened one time up at uh, Strawberry Plains Audubon Center. I was leading a nature walk. We heard southern leopard frogs in the daytime. Hmm. You know, frogs tend to be nocturnal. But it had rained. A, a tropical storm had moved through and dropped some water in a little wetland area near the beginning of the walk. And we heard uh, southern leopard frogs. In fact, we heard more than we thought we'd hear. It, on one of the walks, out of nowhere, a black racer appeared, sped into the cattails. We heard a... An awful sound, <laughs> uh, a, a distress call for sure, and out came the black racer with a frog in his mouth wow. and disappeared into the willows. So, yeah, leopard frogs are, are, are they're around, and you might hear them after this next rain. All right. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. We're going to visit with uh, John this morning, called in today. John, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yeah, I've got a question about this dog I got, and um, I'm about my late 70s. I lived down here on a few acres, but I had a great old dog named Buster that was a golden retriever and would do anything you ask him to. Then my son works at a shelter down in Florida, and somebody gave this little dog away, and he brought it up to me. It's something called a Basenji, and I can't get that dog to do anything. It, it opened the door, and it takes off as fast as it can be. I can't chase him, and then he... Um, I try to get him to come, and he kind of looks at me funny. So, can y'all do, doctors, you know, tell me anything that maybe could help me um, train this dog? You know, you, you've got a real problem there, real hard-headed dog. Uh, everybody that I know that has had a pet, Basenji, maybe not a breeder, but anybody that's had a pet, uh, they talk about how difficult they are to uh, to train and to get to mind. I had a similar experience with a miniature wire-haired fox terrier, first dog I had after I got out of vet school. It was the same way, and the only way I could catch it would be to get in the car and go open the door, and he'd get in the car. <laughs> uh, and that dog was incorrigible. But 
I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, there are some ways possibly that you can help train this dog. How old is he? Well, he's about five years yeah. old. He's grown. Yeah, and it may be hard to, hard to train him. Uh, I would suggest least training him if he's not, uh, getting him into an obedience training group uh, at one of the places that sponsors those and work with it like that. But I, I don't envy your task in trying to train this dog because everything I've heard of, uh, they're quite uh, independent and very hard-headed. So good luck with that. But best you can do is start with some sort of leash training and obedience and see what can happen then. Good luck to you. Okay, thank you. All right, John, thanks for your call. Let's move on next. Uh, Curtis has called in from Union this morning. Good morning, Curtis. Yeah, how are you doing today? We're doing good. What do you have for us? Well, I've got a, I've got a, a, a mystery that I can't solve, really. Uh, I live out in the country on about 90 acres of land, and uh, we had some cats that come up, wild cats that come up. So my wife started feeding them outside, and now now we've got about 15 cats outside. <laughs> They're wild. And we kept feeding them, and then we kept feeding the cats outside because we live out in the country. Then the raccoons started coming up, and they started eating the cat's food. And then, and then they started coming in with the cats. And then while all this was going on, a mystery happened. All the squirrels disappeared. Disappeared. I don't see squirrels no more. And uh, uh, I do not see cat- I was wrapped up with snakes all around in my area. Black runners, copperheads, water moccasins, and everything. I don't see snakes no more. Do you think all this had something to do with it? I'd say yes. Uh, and some of the cats are pretty good predators. Uh, that's one of the issues with uh, cats that are feral, uh, killing game birds, uh, songbirds. Uh, but I suspect they were good enough hunters that they probably wiped the squirrel population out. I doubt if the raccoons had anything to do with that. But at the same time, I would be very careful with the raccoons. They're known to be able to spread or carry rabies uh, and can be an issue. So uh, did you indicate that they were... I, I, really don't know. I really don't know what to do with all this. It's right. cats here. I caught one and, and had it. The rest of them you can't catch, and I don't know what to do. Well, I mean, only... I've got cats and raccoons right. running everywhere. Right. You might be able to list some help in uh, actually trapping the cats and having them spayed and neutered. That would help cut down on the population. Uh, I have seen situations where uh, you would have, instead of 15 cats, you'd have 50 if you're not careful. Uh, And uh, we don't really recommend, and I realize you think you're doing a good deed, but really don't recommend feeding the wildlife. Uh, I know they're taking advantage of the cat food, but uh, see if you can find some group that would help you trap those cats and spay and neuter. I think that would be good. And your snakes could be gone because of all the competition. Right. And the mice are eating pretty much the same things. The snakes like baby squirrels and mice and rats. And if the cats are eating all of those, then. But if you get, uh, if you reduce your population of cats, the the snakes will come back. All right, uh, Curtis. Yeah, I, I do not. I do not. I do not see no cats, rats, squirrels, or frogs. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Best of luck, Curtis. Thanks uh, for the call. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's uh, go ahead and take our final break this hour. When we get back. We'll wrap up our conversation. We're talking today with Joe McGee about birds and frogs and other creatures that are around Mississippi this time of year. Still time for you to join in our conversation. Give us a call at one 
877-MPB-RING. The phone number is one 672 You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Back to wrap up the program after this, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today, biologist Joe McGee. Still a little bit of time for you to work in a comment or a question. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Joe, we talked a little bit about the frogs. Let's... Uh, turn our attention to the birds and you know we all know how uh, hot it's been and how the sort of fall weather that we sometimes get here in mississippi has been delayed when we talk about migration and uh, fall migration birds maybe working their way through do they sense the temperature changes and does that affect their migration at all or is it more innate that they just do it when they do it it's innate and they do it when they do it but they are affected by the weather especially fronts sometimes uh a really strong cold front with lots of thunderstorms along it will cause the birds to to uh, come down out of the sky. They migrate mainly at night. Say so we have thunderstorms in the night, lots of thunderstorms, heavy rain. If you get up early in the morning, that's a, often a good time to see uh, the small land birds that have put down. They would put down anyway, but now they've been sort of concentrated by the, the bad weather. But uh, they're going to migrate. Uh, you know, some, there's this controversy about leaving a hummingbird feeder up. When hummingbirds get ready to migrate, they will migrate, no matter how much, how many feeders you've got out. Uh, it's innate for them to to migrate in the fall. And it, this is the peak of fall migration for the small land birds. Right now, right now, we're almost in mid-October. They're really coming through uh, at the present time. So, what are some uh, birds that folks might see that are migrating through this time of year? Okay, just the other day in my yard, I had a rose-breasted grosbeak. Mm-hmm. I was out doing some yard work, and, and there it was. It's really dry. I mentioned this before. It's really dry where I live now, and I have three sources of water for the birds. And one day, I was looking out the back window, and I had, I had told somebody at the museum I wasn't seeing American red starts much anymore. It's a little, one of our warblers. They're black and orange, beautiful bird, mm-hmm. black and orange bird. I looked out the window, and usually they're up high, and you've got to look up. You're seeing them from below. I looked out a, a back window, and there were two of them, not one but two, in an old cast-iron skillet that I keep out full of water for the birds. shows you how desperate they were for water, because normally they stay high. You just don't see them down virtually on the ground. Uh, that's one you can see. Another one that uh, folks might want to look for is the little magnolia warbler. It's, it's a very colorful bird, even this time of year when they're in their alternate plumage. And it's, uh, they stay low. It's pretty easy to see once you learn to recognize it, the magnolia warbler. But the, the sky, I mean, the trees are just full of the small, you know, the small land birds, flycatchers, thrushes, warblers, vireos. All right. Uh, we've got a couple of phone calls to get to to wrap up our show. We talked to Rebecca in Satillo. Good morning, Rebecca. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yes. Hi. Um, I know I'm calling kind of late, but I have a question about my dog. Okay. Um, well, she uh, she whines all the time at me and everybody else and kind of drives us a little crazy. And I was just wondering uh, if there's anything I could do. Okay. In other words, she's whining like she wants attention or that she is hurting? Well, it's more like she wants attention, I think. Right. Right. How big is this dog? Oh, she's... Uh, Maybe like 20 pounds. Right, right. 
Uh, is this the only dog you have? We've got a Chihuahua, too. Right. How do they interact? Uh, well, the Chihuahua has more of a dominant personality, but overall they get along really well. Right, right. It's an unusual thing. I, I know my large dog, she's 105 pounds now, but large dog does that occasionally. And usually uh, she uh, will respond if you pet her, uh, do something to her, or take her outside if she needs to go. So there may be some things involved with that. I don't know. Uh, it sounds like she's healthy based on what you're saying. And uh, I would say that unless, she, how old is she? She's about four now. So she shouldn't have any arthritis-type issues or anything. Does she stay in the same room at night with you? Uh, she stays in a different room, but that's her preference. Okay, okay. I, I would have to say that, you know, short of giving her more attention, I, I really don't know how to answer your question as far as stopping the whining. Usually if you do something for them, a lot of times give her a toy, uh, do something like that, she may... Uh, stop the whining for a while. But I think she's in that training process, training you to a certain extent. I'm not sure what she wants, but I see that where they'll come up and do that, and you got to find the key to, to change that. Good luck to you. I think a toy might help, or more than one toy. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks for your call, Rebecca. Let's get a final call in, and it is uh, Don in New Albany. Good morning, Don. You're on the air with us. Well, good morning. Uh, I have a quick comment about a frog and about the birds. Okay. Um, this spring, I heard barking tree frogs from uh, the back of my house, and I just thought that was kind of unusual. I looked on iNaturalist, and they're, they seem to be very spotty. I'm in North Mississippi uh, in Union County. That's a very good observation that you made. Uh, they tend to be, so I have them uh, in my county, Newton County. Uh, that's as far north as I have heard about uh, barking tree frogs. That's a real good observation that you've made. Yes, on, uh, on iNaturalist, they showed a few reports from uh, other counties in North Mississippi, but not in Union County. Right, that may be the only one, the first one, perhaps. <laughs> well, there were two, at least. <laughs> That's good work, John. Don. Yeah. Uh, about the birds, I, I recognized the call of the brown thrasher earlier, and I just thought I'd mention that the way that I sort out the mimics when I hear them is three, two, one. The mockingbird will repeat at least three times, the thrasher twice, and the catbird once. <laughs> That's right. Mm -hmm. That's good. The, the the song of the brown thrasher is always in, or the phrases are always in pairs. As you mentioned, right. the two, yeah. All right, uh, Don, thanks for calling. Some great observations there to end up the show. Uh, Joe, just got a minute or so left. Are we talking about uh, birds and bird watching? If someone has not been an avid bird watcher and wants to try to get started, maybe the one piece of gear or equipment or something that you think would be most beneficial? A good pair of binoculars. Actually, there's two things that okay. I would need. A, a good pair of binoculars and a good field guide. And there's so many of, of both. I mean, there's a an overabundance of both. I don't know how to uh, steer anybody in, in either direction. With field guides, the Sibley field guide is now really popular. Uh, but I still like the Peterson field guide from days of yore. Uh, 
But yeah, you'll need a pair, a good pair of binoculars to bring those birds that are up in the treetops down so that you can see them and, and see all the field marks. What about with glass? I've always been concerned about binoculars with glasses. Does that have they improved the technology a bit? You know, I wear glasses, and it's a little bit of a problem for me. I sometimes find myself taking the glasses off if I'm really, you know, mm-hmm. straining to see something. There are binoculars that have. Uh, that are made for people who wear glasses, so you yeah. don't have to take them off. The eyepiece on mine adjusts. Okay. So, yeah, you need to go ahead and I think it's you put it on the lower function. And you can press them up against your yeah. glasses, and it doesn't hurt. Yes. It doesn't hurt either one. Yeah. The lenses okay. of either one. All right, very good. And my other thing that I remember hearing does if you're going to go on bird watching, wear comfortable shoes as well. Sensible shoes, yes. Comfortable, <laughs> sensible shoes, definitely. Yes. All right. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced each week by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Joe McGee, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next, it's the autocorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.